from the scrum half. Use van der Westhuizen. Van der Westhuizen, the scrum half is going to score. And that is a magnificent bit of counter-attacking. Van der Westhuizen at the blind side, he's going to score. That is an extraordinary try. Lamu, Lamu. Use the van and get them. Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix International, episode 233, and those images of uh, Just van der Westhuizen, who has passed away, dying at the age of 45 from motor neurone disease. Pretty sad way to start the year, but just what a great man, what a great player, and him with Jonah Lomu in those images really brings a tear to the eye, as I welcome Ben Kimber for the first time this year. Good day, Jero. Uh, great to be back. Not great to be back on such a sombre note, but really uh, have great memories of Houston Jonah, two of my favourite players over the time, and really sad to see him go. And joining us in the wide shot is Brendan Cannon. Brendan, welcome. Um, we'll get into your story in a second, but uh, obviously the passing of Eustace hit the rugby world pretty hard. Yeah, he's, he's put up a very brave fight against a very insipid disease, motor neurone disease. I had a good close friend pass away from it, and there's not a lot of delight in it because you know what's about to come. He put up a very gallant effort um, against a very, very disastrous disease. And you know, I remember one of the one of the classic clips I've seen of use was you know the great Nike logo of "Just Do It." Well, they but "Use Do It." Well, you did it, my <laughs> friend. You're a giant of the game, and it's a huge loss for rugby and for South Africa. He Absolutely. was a giant of the game, wasn't he, Ben? He was a big player. He was, and I, I distinctly remember him as a guy, and, and you know, he was very much in the era where we were all involved in rugby. Brendan was playing, you were working with the Wallabies, I was reporting, and, and I remember him being a very different type of halfback, and we talked about it at the time. Six foot two, about 87, 90 kilos. That's a big halfback. It is a big halfback, mm. and, and the pass, the tackle, the vision, but I think the leadership too. I mean, these days, you, you know, you can see great halfbacks, but there are those players who are cut above sometimes in the leadership they bring to the team and what they show. And he was a player who really stood out for South African rugby as a guy who led them around the park and was a big part of everything they did. Yeah, he certainly was. And Brendan, you know, as a, as a Wallaby, as a Test player, you know what it takes to be a really great halfback, but he just had that different aura about him. Well, yeah, an aura is something you use when, you, yeah. when you've got a class player. And out of that 95 South African World Cup winning team, there were some iconic figures, you know, Francois Pina, uh, but Eust was another one. And he had this presence about him. Uh, six foot two, naturally, physically he had that presence, but he just had that aura that you spoke about. You know, he redefined in some ways halfback play because there's very rarely you get a halfback over six foot. They're normally the short, pesty, cheeky little fellas in the team. But Eust was one that just did it with class. And um, yeah, it's a sad, sad loss for everyone. And, and being that big, that big scrum half changing the game, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the clips that are being shared on social media after he passed are of the, those, the way he tackled Jonah Loma in the 95 final. And, you know, this is a guy who had trampled Mike Catt and others in England who had trampled <laughs> everyone before them. And yeah. there's three times you stood in front of him, took him on and put him down. I've seen clips and posts from people in New Zealand and, and saying they put those pictures up of used around Jonah's legs to show kids what it means to be that sort of a courageous player. Well, then also that you can tackle a guy like Jonah Lomu. Everyone thought that you yeah, yeah. used to have to yell at touch, but um, <laughs> from all of us here at Rugger Matrix, condolences to, to Eustace's family, to his children, and all of those that were close to him because you know his loss is certainly being felt globally. Yeah, it certainly is. And I mean, those pictures we showed at the top uh, have really touched a lot of people. I mean, to lose Jonah and Eustace yeah. so quickly, 
Uh, I mean, it's just devastating for so many people, isn't it? It sure is. It sure is. But um, there's other rugby things we need to talk about. So let's uh, let's move along, Juro. Yes, and I think uh, we will have uh, a lot to say about Houston in the future. And, um, you know, uh, South African rugby particularly hurting right now. And all our best wishes to go to you and, of course, Houston family. That is the family of rugby around the world. All right, so let's, uh, what a sad uh, year or so, eh? Um, let's get on to some more joyous stuff. Ben Kimber, uh, we have Brendan Cannon. Should we say hello to Brendan before you give us your issue of the week? I reckon we should. Brendan, <laughs> you're on board. You are a regular member of Rugger Matrix. Thanks for coming on board, mate. Here's the official handshake. Thank you. There's, oh, there's there the go. deal done. Yeah. New there's a secret the one underneath the table. <laughs> the Rugger Matrix band. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's fantastic to be here, guys. I've watched from afar um, and the great work that you've done, that you're not only giving rugby a voice, domestically and that you know defines Australia but globally and um, you know the way of the new world with digital and social media uh, our reach is huge and it's a huge honor to be a part of it so thank you can I just ask you what can I ask you do you actually like the show what is it that you like about the show because we, we get a lot of responses from people that we're sort of down the line and uh, we're not just a fanboy for Australia but love the game globally I like to play the game, or when I did, I like to play it pretty direct, pretty yep. straight up and straight up and down. And I think that what you guys do, the opinion and the voice that you give to the viewers and to the rugby followers, but also your own opinions being expressed the way that they are, um, I think is the platform that I, I suppose interests me because there's nothing superficial about it. It's not powder coated. If you feel one way or the other, it's clearly defined. In rugby, there's two halves to the field. There's a halfway line. A lot of rugby commentators like to spread their legs and have the halfway line down the middle. <laughs> you guys, you clearly sit in one half of the field or the other, and I like that. All right, fantastic. All right, so the first thing is we're going to have a, a special segment from you two coming up. Is it? <laughs> oh, I'm going to go straight to it. I Go reckon ahead. we see the strike issue of the week to Canada. Do you reckon? I reckon we do. Oh, you're going to hand it over. All right, over. so here it is. Here is... The cannon shot. <laughs> what is Brendan? And we're going to get a sponsor for you. So if you want to get on board, I'm telling you, this is the man in the back. <laughs> so we've got Strike and we want to get uh, more sponsors through the year. We've got a big one coming in a couple of weeks' time. But get on board. The cannon shot is waiting for you. <laughs> Brendan Cannon, what is your first cannon shot? Well, mine is, it, it sort of relates domestically, but it probably has a, a greater spread across the world, is pay TV has come in and controlled a number of sports. And rugby in Australia has a lack of visibility because of the fact that Fox Sports control the game. Um, other codes here in Australia, Rugby League and Aussie Rules, have a, have a visibility that's shared between free-to-wear and also pay TV. I noticed in New Zealand, Benny Kimber did some great research, that there's a bill before Parliament at the moment that if sport in relation to the All Blacks or anything uh, in a national has national significance, has an eligibility to be shown on free-to-wear because it has national significance for its citizens. So from an Australian perspective, I have frustration at the fact that we have a lack of visibility of Super Rugby. Channel 10, one of our local free-to-air stations, mm. promotes the Wallabies, but there's probably four or five tests a year. Mm. All the other codes get greater visibility. So for me, the AAU need to work a lot more for the fans and the grassroots of rugby to give it that transparency and not chase the dollar and provide exclusivity to the sport, but make it open for everyone. And that's for all mums and dads, families, because the discretionary spend in Australia or in any economy is a big decision. And if you need to pay $120 a month to watch sport and other things on pay TV, in comparison to getting groceries or something for your family, you're gonna choose that and not make the pay TV decision. Yeah, and, and, and the numbers speak for themselves. And it is a difficult conversation though, Brendan. I mean, the, the money that came from pay TV fueled the game's growth. Exactly. Right? So, and so clearly that's where, the, where it started. But what you're saying and what I'm hearing is 
some of these other sports have found a way to put a foot outside the tent, yep. right? Foxtel right now in Australia, I think, is about 30% of the country, maybe creeping up to 32, 33. Mm -hmm. So you're really talking about a product that can only be sold to a small portion of Australia, or, or, yep. or more about attracting those new fans, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, I do. And I mean, I have to admit, I, f I formerly worked for Fox Sports. I, I loved the coverage that it gave the game. But now that I'm outside and I'm, I'm probably more connected on weekends to the rugby community by yep. not being involved with Fox, I get a greater appreciation of the fact that it doesn't have that visibility. Fox do an outstanding job. They really do. They've made the game far more interactive for the viewer that gets the right to watch it. But other codes have managed to find a way to have a free-to-air platform as well as a pay TV platform. Fox needs to work, well not Fox, but the AAU needs to work with you know, the Australian providers to make sure that we have that. In New Zealand, rugby is on everywhere. You can pay for it, but you can also watch it free to wear. But New Zealand, I'm going to, uh, I hate using the term, but play devil's advocate here. But Brendan, that game in New Zealand is the number one game. Rugby isn't the number one game here. And I was at Channel 7 in the early days when they tried to put Super Rugby on television, and it didn't rate. It didn't rate. And you know, that's think, the problem. Well, I think part of the problem is the Super, the, the super Rugby concept is getting too confusing. Too many right? teams. Australians the, the, who are just fringe dwellers four o'clock in the don't morning, care. other side of the world, people don't tune in them, they yeah. don't tune in them. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with Brendan that I think they need to find a way to get a, a more of a free-to-air approach, find a way to get more exposure for the game because it's a great game. It's in good nick, right? Yeah. There, there is really good rugby going on and, and no, no more so at the moment. We've got sevens, we've got tens, we've got six nations, we've got super rugby starting. It's a body, it's a plethora, right? Yeah. Um, but to find a way to get that foot outside the tent to earn some money but also grow the game, that's the challenge. Well, you Agreed. answered it. Your answer was in the structure of the competition. And, and for Australians, it just doesn't work. This goes way back, you know, way back to the days when uh, the Australians uh, struggled to grasp the weather systems of the hurricanes and, and wanted to latch onto a team like Wellington or Auckland. Mm. You know, we want to we want to make sure that we're seeing a team from a region and not, not just a group that's been put together. And that's the tribalism that Super Rugby has been trying to get since, Brendan, 1996. Yeah, it has been. They haven't been able to sort of hang their hat on something that really defines who they are. Um, and that's when you have marketing people who get paid a lot of money to come in and look at a merchandising position and the commercial reality of yeah. what they can do to earn money from product and promotion. But I just, I just think there's a way in which rugby can be, can be kinder to itself by having that dual visibility rather than at the moment it being singularly isolated on a pay TV perspective in Australia. Fox do a great job, but the other codes, who are our number one and two in comparison to cricket, get dual exposure through pay TV and free-to-air, and True. that's just what rugby needs. True, but it's got to rate. So if it doesn't rate, commercial enterprises won't put it to win. Yep. So that's the, that's the problem for when it hits big time, and the big time is free-to-air, because if, if it's not rating, they're just going to brush it, and that's why they don't run it. Anyway, guns are in the holsters. <laughs> the cannon shot is done for the week. Um, no, the cannon shot, and there he goes, all the way over there. Um, so it's... Uh, do you want to do a uh, issue of the week? No, I think we can throw into the rugby this week, mate. I think we've had our issue. All right, okay. I think I think what I'd like to do is start to talk about... I mentioned before the amount of rugby that I'm on at the moment. I mean, almost, I think I got in trouble at home on the weekend because there was that much to watch <laughs> between the Sevens and the Six Nations. Uh, but and the year has just started. I want to get into the Six Nations first yep. because I thought there were some really nice storylines from what we saw last year into this year. You know, firstly, kudos to England. 15 straight games, an English record for, for them. You know, beat the 14 that I think Clive Woodward and the boys got back in 2003. Yeah. Creeping up on that 18 that New Zealand set not very long ago. Um, but also one of those games that makes you realise when a team is in good nick. And Brendan, I'd love your view on this, but when a team struggles, 
it still finds a way. And I think Eddie Jones said something along the lines of, I thought we were awful, but I always thought we were going to win. Yeah, and there is a confidence there. I mean, Eddie's the perfect man and has proven that and does every test that they play. He's given that playing group, you know, that in inherent belief that they can do something, they can do the impossible. Mm. And sometimes the more satisfying victories are the ones when you grind it out. You know you've played poorly. You know your opposition are in the game. And the French are so whimsical in the way that they play. They're, they're all in or they're all out. But to be so close at, at the home of rugby for England at Twickenham, um, it should have given them the belief that they were capable of doing something special. But England just had enough at the right times in that game and managed to, to get over the line. So 1916, yeah. not their greatest of victories, but probably one of their more important ones because of the character that it showed within that playing group. And the Ben Teo try, which has been a big success story for Eddie Jones. Ben Teo scoring a, a, an absolutely valuable try. But mm. once again, there was a key decoy runner there. It's a Ben oh, You'll get used to this, mate. He loves the decoy runners. He loves to talk about them. But it's just, uh, look, I'm not going to say he absolutely impeded the French defender, but it didn't help the French players that they had this big English player running in the line. Well, the beauty of having bodies in front of the ball is that it creates that confusion for the defender. You don't know who to mark, where you should go, and it creates that difficulty to create the right space option. You're right, but I'd also say to you, go back to the French try, the one France try, and wind back a couple of seconds, mate, and you'll see a couple oh, of big go. bodies in front of the ball. This uh, is it's like, not, not this quite is as blatant. Pro blocker. Yeah, but what blocker. I'm saying is, <laughs> it often goes both ways, these decisions, right? You know, something you know, that they see, people say, oh, the game was robbed. But, mate, it, it, there, there were, it went both ways. No, oh, come on. No, I disagree. I disagree on that. I just think it's a no. blight on the game. They don't need it. Stop it. We're not going to do a decoy runner stop, show. Right? Stop, stop impeding defenders. It's not, uh, it's not fair. Tell you, what I, tell you what I did want to say about the, show, about the game. Yeah. Um, it, it really rammed home for me the importance of muscle in a game. In that first half, France were all over them. Uh, Pickamoles yeah. had a massive game. Yep. How about, uh, uh, what's his name, Antonio? He's six foot six, 150 kilos mm. of tight head, bouncing blokes off. <laughs> the French really took them on physically, and you can see No versus trying to build a team where it's muscle and speed, right? It's almost like back to basics in rugby sometimes. Yep. Get the big men, punch them forward, kick on through. And we saw England struggling with that. Nine all at half time was a great result for them, but they were reeling. Their forward pack wasn't working. Utoje at six wasn't really working, getting back in the second row. But the French found the muscle, uh, but England hung on. Yep, and that's the most important thing they hung on. They got bashed around the park, they got beaten up by you know, a brutal French forward pack. And that's how the French want to play. You look at them line up for the national anthem, one to eight, they look like hired goons, hired hitmen. <laughs> yeah. And from nine to 15, they look like movie stars. Yeah. You know, so the French want to really manhandle you up front. England don't have that brutal force that they've had probably in the past, but they have a very capable forward pack and they managed to weather the storms. Well, well England really missed the Vertipolis, right? Yeah. And we saw this in the game last year, the Wallabies-England game, where for some reason I saw the English press talking about what a great game Nathan Hughes had, and I thought he was very average. Nathan Hughes is nowhere near what Billy Vernapola brings to the game. No, I actually out. thought he had a good game, mate. You did. Yeah, we said that yeah, at the time. Yeah. I, did, I think he was average. But, but mm, I think geez. Billy Vernapola is a guy that can change a game for a pack, yeah. right? That 125 ball-carrying number eight. He's a handful. Oh, massive difference to the game. Yeah, yeah but deleting out, out of the side and then still winning, though they did, I, I was, thought it was pretty impressive. But 19 points to six. What do you think, Eddie? Eddie 16. Jo- 90 points to 16. Eddie Jones, our old mate. <laughs> oh, what a half time. Um, what a half time. Captain Stink Eye, wouldn't it? He would, he would have given them a spray, but uh, I think Eddie knows that you know, they're a pretty fragile group from what they've experienced in the past and, and the scrutiny that they get put under. Eddie's you know, got a confidence about him now that some would say bordering on arrogance, but. He has such an inherent confidence in his own ability that that feeds through to the playing group. And he would have acknowledged them at half time that they were playing pretty shit. 
Yeah. And, but they, and you know, they, were, they allowed the French, but they were only, you know, the game was still really tight. And so it was up to them in the second half. He would have challenged them at half time. And after the game, he would have acknowledged how poorly they played. But at times, they played well enough to scrape out the win. And that to him probably would have been a more satisfying thing for that playing group to ground that, to grind that out, than to probably win with flair and pizzazz, which they've done in the past. All right, so they're still marching on towards the All Black winning record. Do you think they deserve to beat the All Black record, considering well, they haven't played the All Blacks in this period? Yeah, like it's. I mean, that type of stuff is more important for us mm. to commentate about as a playing group. You work, you're focusing on each performance being better than the previous. And if you start looking too far ahead, then what's happening Come in front on, of you? Come on, you can't tell me that they're not to. thinking about it. Eddie would be. Yeah. But the playing group wouldn't. And oh. I think if I think if Eddie got it. Like, that would be an amazing turnaround. It already is for what he's done with the English You can't stop team. players thinking about it, but you can't... As a group, you've got to try and get the message. If the press start putting it out yeah. there, and internally within the England team they're saying, don't read the paper, yeah. all of a sudden the negative becomes the positive and you yeah. want to read the paper. Everything they're thinking and focusing on... It's, such a, it's, such, a, it's such a mental game, isn't it? You know, you see, like, the All Blacks looked unbeatable. They turned up and found an Irish team that were ready to roll yep. in Chicago, yep. and things can change. And, and it, it, you, wonder, you wonder just how much of it is mindset. I think it's a large, large part of it. Well, the All Blacks were clearly thinking about the record when they beat Australia in that third Bledisloe. There was absolutely no doubt about it because the, the way they played and attacked Australia was evident. But the thing that will define how good this English team really is, is consistency. That's yeah. what's made the All Blacks the, the clear number one for so many years, is week in, week out, they turn up, they play really, mm. really well. They have an off game against the Irish, who wanted it more. Yeah. But um, they, for mine, epitomise what consistency is all about in high performance. So if England can perform consistently well, that will make them the side that they deserve to be. Now, your question, uh, though, was, did they, will they deserve it? Absolutely they will. You beat who's in front of you. Exactly. If they can win 18 straight games, they absolutely deserve it, regardless of who they've played, right? If they're at the top-tier nation, they're playing Six Nations, they're playing World Cups, whatever they're playing, they're going to make their way through to 18. Now, I think one of the more interesting things from the weekend, though, is when everyone looked at the run that England has to get the new record of 19, which means finish the Six Nations undefeated and they have a new clear and free record, right? But everyone thought the final game, Ireland, would be the one that might stumble them. Mm. Well, we just saw France take it to them. And that was the other thing I liked on the weekend was... We talked last year about the form lines that we saw, that we saw teams we thought tier, you know, not tier two, but some of the lower teams had were stepping up, right? The All Blacks were a bit free and clear. Ireland brought them back a bit, but the Italy's, the Scotland's of the world are starting to play better footy, and we saw that in the other two games in the Six Nations. All right, the other game that was just pulsating. You know I'm a big fan of Scotland. Love the Scottish playing over their weight every single time. 27 points to 22 over Ireland. And Ireland at times uh, slipping away defensively quite poorly considering uh, their efforts against the All Blacks late last year. But, geez, Scotland were great to watch. Uh, Kano, some of the highlights were magnificent and uh, punching their way through the line. But there was one particular highlight you like um, over everything else. The cheek, it was the cheeky little line yeah. in the 28th minute where the front three men for the Scottish were were the backs. They had Greg Laidlaw at number one. They had, uh, who was at number number two? They had um, Tommy Seymour, uh, the winger at number two, and at number three was the inside centre, uh, Alex Dunbar. The only Irish guy marking them was Rory Best. Call it smart play or call it stupid defence on the Irish behalf, but the hooker forward threw it straight to Dunbar, who just had grass to get to the line. No one touched him. It looked a piece of genius, but it was just silly defence from the Irish. But 
Great play and great awareness on the Scotland guys to, to pull it off. It goes to the point we were making before about it being such a mental game. I'm like, I mean, really, what would have thrown them was just a totally new tactic, right? <laughs> There's still blokes standing there in the same coloured jerseys as they were at the previous lineup, but their defence was just gone and it was shot because there was something different. And how easy was it? Mm. Through he goes and over. Oh, yeah. it was ridiculous. And I suppose seeing backs in, in, in the lineup might change the way teams do it now because yeah. you've got to cover one to eight positions in the lineup. Every every position is a threat. And I think what Scotland did on the weekend have proven that. So um, they're amazing. They really jumped out Vern of the box. Vern Carter's done a great thing. With Outstanding job. Their yeah. spirit, I mean, they've always been so close and they've always fallen so short, you know, closely short a couple of times. But uh, they got Ireland on the hop on the weekend, and they deserve their victory. It's huge performance. We shouldn't be surprised about this. I mean, they were so close, as you mentioned, Brendan, in the last few years, and they've beaten Australia on occasion as well. And they've, been but, they've had and they've rough results darted, against Australia. They've, they've been dudded and so close, and they could have thrown their whole lot in a bundle out the window as they're driving down the freeway. But they kept going, and they gave it to Ireland. And Ireland, you know... Interesting comments by Joe Smith after the um, game, which was that they arrived at the game about, what, 15 minutes late? And he, he used that as an analogy all the way through the press conference, which was like, you know, we're, we were late to everything. We were late to the breakdown. We were late to everything else during the game. And uh, I hope, I don't think he was using it as an excuse because, Brendan, in 2003, the All Blacks turned up 45 minutes late and put almost 50 on Australia, or 50 on Australia in 2003. So that wasn't a problem for them. <laughs> But obviously that's an issue for Ireland. That's a really the the highs of beating the All Blacks last year have very quickly been checked, and they have to refocus now for the rest of Six Nations. Well, it's the inconsistencies yeah. that that is the difference between the very good and the very poor. And you know we saw Ireland beat a red hot All Black side, mm. you know, um, only two months ago, and yet Scotland completely outthused, outclassed, and they're outcoached um, mm -hmm. over Ireland Which on the weekend. Which is a big call after this, the year that Schmidt had. Yeah. Huge call, yeah. huge yeah. call. You know, and Manny Taylor, a, a good mate of mine I went to school with, he's the defensive coach. He coach, yeah. helps coach uh, Glasgow up there. And he is someone that oozes enthusiasm and, and is so passionate. And it's amazing what belief can do for a playing group. So to beat Ireland, no one other than that 23 that were there on the day and the coaching staff, plus the supporters that always turn up, would have believed it. But on Scotland March, because they've now got the belief they, they can seem mix pretty it. happy with it too, didn't they? Why wouldn't they be? <laughs> Outstanding yeah. result. Yeah, despite their numbers, they continually impress me and they certainly deserve their place in Six Nations. And what a great start for them, 27 points to 22. Uh, Wales, so had a... Well, on the scoreboard, it was 33-7, Ben Kimber. I didn't catch all of this game, but I have seen little bits and pieces of it. Um, but uh, to what I was saying before about the, the themes from last year that we're seeing again, Italy were right in that game up in the 60-minute mark, and that's great to see. We want a strong Italy, we want a strong France, we want a strong Scotland, and in this first round, we've seen that come back into it. Now, I, I, I've got to go back and watch that game again, to be honest, because I saw the, uh, the Italian coach was saying that the, the ref dudded them a bit, particularly in the first few minutes. And you know, I think he was referring to it's all about that momentum. So they were in there and they were punching, but he just felt like it didn't go their way. But I, I kind of hate hearing a, a coach say that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Brendan? I think you just got to suck it up. I think <laughs> if you get beaten, you get beaten fair and square. Um, you know, it's it's how it is. You can always look for an excuse, but an excuse to me promotes weakness within a playing group. I think you've got to acknowledge the performance of the opposition, and also acknowledge the deficiencies of your own team. On any given day when the whistle gets blown, two sides are there and both sides have an equal chance to win. Depends on how things unfold, how things play out. But one side with a willingness to win will always overcome the weaker. And you know, 60 minutes, Italy were very competitive, but then the experience and probably just the, the, the talent exposure of, of Wales got over them the last 15 to 20 minutes. All right, quickly on Six Nations to wrap that up. 
lines. Everyone's talking about it. The BBC. Um, I know <laughs> one of our, our great listeners, Dave, uh, from Ireland, was uh, complaining that uh, the BBC were talking about uh, lines already, and mm. we're in the middle of the Six Nations. But it's something you can't avoid. Yeah. Obviously, Scotland uh, saying we want to be involved as well. Yep. You know, and then yeah. so they should be. Yeah, and I think that, I think it, it bodes really well um, from what we've seen in the last year and into this year. Yeah. Uh, you're able to pick a strong line squad. You've got options. Like previous years, you've seen like, and I think you know the Tour of Australia when they picked you know 13 Welshmen. I think to start against yeah. Australia. Um, it, 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 this year looks like there's going to be genuine options right across the park. There are standout candidates, but there are guys breathing down their neck. I don't want to get into who would be in the team yet. I think we'll do that over the next few yep. weeks. But a lot of anticipation, and I think uh, ramping up for what is going to be a real pinnacle of the year this year because. New Zealand have got to find their mojo again. I know that's a tough call to make. They had a big year, but yeah. they've got to reset and they're going to get a Lions squad that I think are going to have a lot of strength in a lot of different areas. And I think, uh, in a funny way, I think the loss for Ireland is actually going to be beneficial because that's the, quick, yeah. the really quick wake-up call after the highs of New Zealand. Uh, look out for the rest of Six Nations. Oh. Ireland will be back. One more point on that, sorry, mate. And, and uh, Brennan, we've said before, we've got fantastic viewers who make a lot of great comments. Please, guys, comment, post, subscribe, as we always say. Uh, but one of the themes that I found uh, reading through the comments from the guys was there's a lot of faith in the playing depth of the Lions, but not in the coach. Okay. Not a lot of Gatlin fans around there. Yeah. There's a lot of belief amongst our, our viewers that he's going to go for a very one-dimensional style games mm -hmm. that is not going to be enough to beat New Zealand is not going to make enough of the talent. So that's one to think about. Well, one would think it's probably going to be his swan song um, on the rep stage because he's been there a long time. It's his second Lions tour. Um, you know, yes, he had success with the previous one, but it was very heavily Welsh influenced and that doesn't sit well with, you know, the competing countries that are, are vying to be a part of the, uh, the Lions squad. And, um, you know, he's a Kiwi, so, you know, they mm. might be wanting to look to get something locally to promote, but um, well, it know. always... It, every other coach over there is a New Zealander. <laughs> <laughs> but it always it always is a, a wonderful event on the rugby stage globally when the Lions tour. I'll never forget when goes. you came on that second test in Melbourne. A minute 20. <laughs> a minute 20, it's all that mattered. But, uh, I, did, I think we got a photo too. Line. That was my only involvement yeah. in the series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was the Do biggest it. minute in the games, the three series. Yeah, it, was, it, was it was bigger yeah, than Johnny yeah. Wilkinson's yeah. miracle comeback. But I think Benny's implying that the Kiwis are gone. Are you, oh, are you no, feeling no, 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 that no. They're, they're done well, and dusted? Absolutely not. All I'm saying is they're going to need to reset I, that's this what year. I, I heard. I've mm, got a vibe. Make your points. I'm happy with that. Comments. I'll, I'll keep saying what I'm saying. <laughs> make your comments. Is he Benny having <laughs> a They won't win a game this year. You're on your own with that one. Now, before we go to the sevens, interesting comments to make about that actually, sevens. What about the news today, breaking today? A 51-year-old man has been charged for being a nuisance <laughs> and because uh, they found him. Apparently the man, allegedly, who uh, put the gate. spying device in the All Blacks room leading up to the test. Explain who he was and what relationship he well, had to be Apparently he'd there. been doing security for, us, for New Zealand for a number of years when they come to Australia yeah. and for other organisations as well. So he was a very trusted guy for many, many years. And so the uh, All Black management are very surprised. So these current allegations, of course. Uh, current allegations, but a guy's been charged. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, so you've got to think, well, what the hell was he doing, allegedly? <laughs> Did you, and and I've I got to say, I, I know I gave Paul for a touch-up a couple of times last year, but I was quite disappointed with the ARU press release on it. He put out a statement saying, you know, great to see some resolution or action, etc., etc. But he put in the same line from last year. And what a disappointment it was to have it <laughs> launched on the day of the game. Mate, you had that argument last year. 
let's just talk about the fact that the security guard of the ABs has had something going on. Can you imagine? I can imagine that being the spin doctor, the former spin doctor, would be like, um, "Can we still have another shot of the All Blacks around <laughs> Steve Hansen here? Let it go, Bill." Let it just seems it just seems so unnecessary. The whole yeah. thing. I mean, it gained a lot of attention, and, and rightfully so. Something like that. It Look, was it shouldn't. It should have been announced that day. It didn't need to. It was no. pulled by the All Blacks. However, there's no need to you know drag it all up. It's, it's been seen. Take about. the higher it's ground. It's to talk about when you've just been proven that it wasn't. You know, you yeah. who was doing anything wrong. Yeah. You just go. You go. Well, gee, that's interesting to hear, and we appreciate the police's work, and you leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. The investigation. <laughs> Alleged. Yeah, the allegedly. 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 You've got to learn that when you get the journalism. <laughs> All right. So, uh, allegedly, there's a big crowd, Ben Kimber, at the uh, Sydney Sevens. And it is a pulsating weekend. It's just up the road from where I live, where we record this, actually. And so many people dressing up. It's just a yeah. great a carnival of uh, Sevens rugby. Yes. South Africa winning. And, mate, and, and, and a big effort for the crowd to get out there, because I know I piped with my young boys because it was 38 degrees on Sunday. I was going to go out. I said I watched it on, on TV. Um, big, big crowd, sold-out event, um, you know, 30-odd thousand there, I think, for most of it, which was triple the official figures from Wellington Sevens, but about 50 times the actual turnout for Wellington yeah, Sevens. what's happened uh, with so, Wellington? Mate, they turned off the booze. That's it? A couple of years ago. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I think it was 2014, they got in there and they, they, they gave a whole lot of like warnings and infringements out for people being drunk. So there had to be a reason. They turned yeah, the party yeah. off and yeah. no one's come back. Uh, Sydney's had a couple of years, it's firing up. Yep. But I don't know, personally, I flip-flop on the Sevens and we talked about it last year. Sometimes I'm in love with them, sometimes I'm not. I'm a bit out of love with them again because two days, mate. <laughs> two days, it's such a long time. Yeah. You know? For me, it worked at the Olympics because it built up to the medal matches and, you know. I'll just say, Kimber, you're not the man you used to be. <laughs> Ten years ago, two days was the minimum requirement for you to be out on the team. So you, this you, is true. Being a great sevens player, Kano. Oh, um, sevens advocate. Back to front. <laughs> I think it's a great vehicle for rugby to be promoted. It's a faster form of the game. Yeah. In Australia, you've seen the T20 cricket, the Big Bash come in. It's our version of that. And right. obviously with the with its debut at the Rio Olympics last year and the Aussie girls having that huge success, mm -hmm. um, I think it's a, it's a wonderful platform that gives rugby another avenue of exposure. Um, yeah. It does discriminate against the bigger people, so it probably would be nicer to see a wider variety of talent <laughs> play. But people don't want to go and see fat guys run around. They want to see the fast athletes. They want to see quick tries. They want to see fast play. And the sevens is a vehicle for that. And you need two days to, 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 to basically filter out the good from the bad. Plus, this crowd on the sideline have an absolute ball. Where well, you, was, want to, you want to play tens then? Uh, well, 10s ten, well, is another form, yeah, so that, yeah. that obviously come out this chance. weekend in Brisbane. You've got the Global 10s on debut. Lottie Takiri running around everywhere. You've got the Dark Shark, got Morgan <laughs> Turaniri back, 40-20 with the Melbourne Rebels. Well, Morgan Turaniri. Yeah. Yeah. How's he looking? Uh, well, obviously, I mean, it's it's like the in Australia, the Rugby League has had the nines where you've had some past yeah. players come back. Gee, that as, was good. As Seriously. An interest. As the an nines interest. Rugby League was fantastic. Like, I, I love both codes, yep. um, so you'll never get me bagging league. Uh, but the nines was exceptional. Yeah. Well, it's awesome because just a couple extra figures on the field mm. just creates more space because in the 15-man game, defence has become so good, you don't get the free-flowing rugby that we were used to 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Tens and sevens, more space, you see the athlete, you see them back themselves, burn people, try and chip. All greater skill set to, to the charm. And Ben Moore celebrations for South Africa. That's good to see. Well, the Blitzbocker. How yeah. great are they? And the best name in world rugby, Quagga, mm. in, in the South African <laughs> team. The Blitzbocker. They're great. And <laughs> and you can really see they've got the, they've got the speed. They've got the handling. But that's a seven team that's built on defence. Yeah. And really, you know, they they are, it is a different game, right? Sevens mm. to fifteens. Oh, but yeah. but what a 
breeding ground for young talent. You see that, that, that tall uh, Australian player, Anstey, who scored a uh, hat-trick? Big, tall bloke. And it, he stepped off his right foot and accelerated through the defence in one of the Australian games, galloped away down the field looking a million. So these young players coming through, getting taught about space and covering and defence, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Do I flip-flop again? Uh, no, no, you're pretty good. <laughs> you're pretty good. But the thing is, I think um, our women's team obviously won the gold medal yep. and they were the world champions last year. Seven shows you that each tournament, it starts from scratch. There's no clear, there might be a clear favourite, mm, yeah. but they're never consistently winning because someone else is fronting up just with a different mindset, just with a different opportunity, and they're winning. And so our, our girls' team had a disappointing debut, effectively, on home soil. Our men's team made the playoffs, but uh, didn't win the gold. So, um, you know, it's great to see that Sevens is getting that exposure. Yeah, and particularly good for the women's game because the, the Australian girls have become superstars, like absolute superstars, and it's, it's so good to see. Uh, we've only got three minutes to go, gentlemen, uh, before we have to wrap it up. You just Time flies when you're in the middle here. <laughs> you're back in the hooker position in the middle. Uh, super rugby, um, a lot of trials happening at the moment. Uh, fellas, uh, it'll be interesting to see how we develop with the tackle law coming mm. up. Mm. Brendan, well, what are your thoughts uh, on it? Well, I think... I think rugby does love to complicate itself by introducing new laws without repealing old ones. Yeah, um, but, but this, this the reason e this is happening is a good reason. It is a good reason because of the safety element, but there hasn't been a requirement in the past because of the significant number of head injuries through reckless tackles or, in, or an accidental tackle. Mm. And what puts the onus here is on the referee to interpret what he thinks was a reckless which I, for mine, I think is a really poor word to use because reckless is almost like it was an accident. Intentional, mm -hmm. I tackle, is what should be probably the wording. Yeah, reckless suggests there was no real intent and it was, you know, it was... Well, it just means that they're, they're forcing you... That, that actually means that you've got to take care. Yeah. So, um, but they don't write it in there. No. But <laughs> Please been, take care. But I suppose been, the, the assumption in that is that no one's going to go out there and really try to knock someone's head off, isn't it? No, yeah. no. But it does mean, and I think teams are preparing for the fact that they're going to have 13 to 14 players on the field at some time because a yellow card is yeah. going to be issued for uh, a reckless... Oh, sorry, an in, uh, was it an accidental high tackle? Yeah. And a red card for a reckless high tackle subject to the referee's interpretation. We've already seen teething problems in the UK uh, yeah. overseas with it, so, especially in the first couple of weeks. Uh, ben, just a final word to wrap up from you. Uh, mate, uh, really looking forward to a big year. I had a few notes here. I have more things to talk about. As always, we run out of time because there's so much to get through. Um, we will do a full Super Rugby show uh, ahead of kickoff, of course, where we yep. dig into the squads and the teams and find out what's going on there. I do want to talk about the five-year residency rule in another show. Yep. Um, I think there's a lot to talk about in that. Massively. But my final call-out is, as ever, no viewer comments this week because it's our first show, clearly. But, guys, uh, please get in there. Comment, post, subscribe, share it with your friends. We want to hear from you. As you know, we include your comments. We want to hear what you've got to say, and it makes us think. Thanks. All right. The, and the cannon shot? <laughs> the Usain Bolt interpretation. <laughs> uh, no, the cannon shot each week. You know, And you guys can nominate uh, what we think should, what you think should be a cannon shot. We'll delve into the issues of rugby. We want to make this great game even greater. We want to give it the global significance that it deserves. But only through the voice, and you guys are the voice of rugby, give us the chance with this platform to do that. So throw in some uh, topics and ideas for the cannon shot. All right. And Spot if on. you've been wondering, this is uh, actually a little doll of me. Pitbull. <laughs> that was created... Uh, by this three-dimensional camera system when I was covering CES in Las Vegas. Big electronic show. And uh, he's my little guy here. So that is a real 3D version of it. Me. It is outstanding. <laughs> Imagine that in your kids' room. How scared would they be every night? It is outstanding. Ben Kipper, thanks for coming, mate. Good to see thanks, you first mate. year. Good to see you, Kenneth. Good to see you, Benny. All right. And Brendan Cannon. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right. That is Rugger Matrix International. First show for the year. We'll see you next week. 
by the world's most quoted rugby podcast. The heat is still on. Massive game. New Zealand a win. Great tip. Been a terrible year for the Wallabies. We're missing an injection of life. Stupid guys think they're so good. <laughs>